What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are months now past the lifting of the eviction moratorium. What has been the fallout? Joining us to discuss is Leah Simon Weisberg, Legal Director of the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, or ACE Action. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Kent. Thanks for, for talking Le- about this. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing it to our attention, Leah. Alameda County ended its eviction moratorium in May, Oakland, um, a, li- a couple months later. What did we see immediately in terms of... Um, eviction efforts across the county? Well, I think we definitely saw the impact of, you know, where the local communities had additional protections beyond um, what the county had provided. So, you know, in Berkeley, for example, ironically, ended up with the most resources, the longest moratorium, and the city contributing, you know, more per capita in terms of rental assistance, and so seeing a lot fewer tenants actually reaching eviction. Um, you know, the, the unincorporated areas in a really bad place, as folks probably remember, the um, supervisors, um, mostly because of Lena Tam, um, you know, refused to provide any te- protection. So they're in a really, really bad spot. They have no local just cause or rent control. And then on top of that, um, almost no legal services and no rental assistance. Um, Oakland, yeah, I just want to stop you, know, you really quick because I don't know that I don't know that listeners do remember. Can you just break down what it means to be unincorporated, and and define the the protections that you just named that they don't have? And and because it is pretty ugly what's happening there. I think folks should know in more detail. Right. So um, you know, Alameda County is is you know has this odd situation where you know it's a huge county. Um, with enormous wealth and enormous poverty and lots of history of segregation. And so some of the leftover pieces of that is that unincorporated areas, and this is true across California, often unincorporated areas were the few places that people of color could live. And so the fact that, you know, we have two communities that are largely folks of color um, because of, you know, years of segregation, that they continue to be the only their government basically are the supervisors, right? They don't have their own city council. And so they have to look to the supervisors to provide them with protections um, and local protections. What we're talking about is just cause for eviction or rent stabilization really being the most important. So you have um, Oakland and Berkeley and Hayward and, and many other cities in the county that have some of the top, the strongest, most comprehensive programs in the country and then right next door and often in some situations across the street um, you know because they're in unincorporated areas don't have rent stabilization at all and if they have just cause for eviction it's a very weak um, state um, ordinance and yeah, you sent before oh, oh no keep going you know keep going sorry well I was just gonna say that um, you know there had been a two-year process and that the county supervisors had done, staff spent, you know, probably thousands of hours, advocates spent thousands of hours, community members, um, there were ordinances passed. Uh, There was a first um, vote um, where it passed, and then there was an election. Uh, Lena Tam had said that she would 
you know, vote yes on the second time, and she didn't, and really has undermined those communities. Leah, you sent over some pretty startling numbers uh, that say there are 191 eviction cases set for settlement today in court and 116 cases set for trial tomorrow. Couple of questions here. One, can the court even process that many cases in one day? And then two, what are the concerns in terms of people's due process rights being violated if the so-called justice system, that's in air quotes, is moving at the speed of light? Well, not only are there huge concerns, but we're already seeing them play out. Um, So just to give some context, in a normal um, kind of normal setting, uh, meaning, you know, pre-pandemic, we never saw more than 50 cases. So, I mean, that's a pretty stark difference, you know, 50 and, you know, almost 200. Um, And in terms of, I mean, just little things like there aren't even enough seats in the courtroom. So when people have to come in and say, I'm here, uh, they they can't even fit in the courtroom. Mm. So, and then in terms of errors, um, just, you know, the court, system itself can't even catch up um you know people received their um trial you're supposed to get your trial date 10 days before that didn't happen people were getting them a few days before and imagine you know you're a regular person and you in two days you get a notice two days before that you're going you're going to trial first off how do you do that how do you know how to prepare for trial but then the other thing is you have to contact your employer, right? And how many employers are really happy to get two days notice and you're not showing up for your shift or, or childcare for that matter. Um, and then let's not forget that the evictions are in the courtroom with the least amount of public transportation access. It can take almost two and a half hours to get there if you're going from anywhere outside of Hayward to get there. Because again, BART, you, have, there, you have to take a bus from BART that doesn't come regularly. So it's, it's really, it's really a burden to know this at at such a late, you know, with so little um, notice. A lot of folks never even got their trial notices in time and didn't make it. So we had an unprecedented number of people not appear, which is a way you- what happens to them if you don't show up to court? Well, there you go. Then you lose your case. Is it it automatically? Uh, Well, I mean, the landlord puts on their case and then, you know, because the thing is that if you're not there for the settlement conference day, then it's sent to the next day, which is for trial. But you don't know that because you weren't there. And that, the well, next that, day, you know. you're in trial. What's the difference between settlement conference and trial, Leah? Right. So um, essentially, the way unlawful detainers work now is that if you request a jury trial, which is which is the norm. Um, your you have a first trial date i mean we call it a first trial date because you have to show up and if you don't then you you're basically continued to the next day the court has ordered everyone to appear um and it's really where most people show up for the first time where negotiation happens if you're going to either you know try and settle the case somehow um and in many situations this is the first time somebody has even really even understands uh, what's happening, but it's it's essentially the first day. If the case doesn't settle, um, you then are set for a jury trial the following Monday. Settlement conferences in Alameda County are on Wednesdays. Jury trials are set for the following Monday. 
And um, if you didn't request a jury trial, and that's usually folks who didn't get help from legal services, then your trial is the very next day, and it's just it's in front of the judge. You keep mentioning legal services for all of Alameda County. How many legal service aides are there? Like, how many people are there to try to help scurry and help all these people that are going to court in the next two days? Um, twenty-five. And remember, all 25 of them can't be in court because we need people preparing answers. So, you know, the the first stage of a, you know, a case um, is that the landlord essentially, you know, files what's called a summons and complaint in court. And then they have to serve on the tenant, you know, handing it to the tenant. The tenant then has to um, respond in a written format. And it's not, they can't just be like, Dear judge, sorry, made a mistake. Here's my rent. I mean, they have, it's a very formal pleading, a very formal, you know, document they have to fill out and provide and a specific one. And you have five days to answer. So you have five days to find out how to get help. The other thing I want to say is it's a self-help center um, that you have to take two and a half hours worth of public transportation to get to doesn't let people just walk in. So you could spend two and a half hours trying to get to the court and you can't even get in. So then you try and call them on the phone, even though they're on the other side of the door, and they may or may not answer their phone or their appointments may already be filled. And in terms of our legal service provider, of course, they're, they're turning people away. And this never used to happen before. You know, we, in Alameda County, people got help. And now we're, being, we're turning people away and it's completely unprecedented. We have fewer lawyers now than we had before the pandemic. How fast, Leah? So let, let's say I'm a tenant and I lose my case. How fast does the rest of the process work? So the judge says, okay, you've lost. Then what happens? And how quickly does it move? I mean, in theory, two, two and a half weeks, you, you're, you know, the sheriff is at your door. And that's, that's a and long know, time. It could be even shorter. Yeah. And we know the violence that the sheriff springs. Um, so help me understand, Leah, because you talked about that, like, say, you know, in places like Oakland and Berkeley, et cetera, that there were protections for renters being put in place. What if any loopholes are landlords using to evict people that are resulting in these large numbers? Well, I, I think one of the things that's happening is that um, the city of Oakland received way less money than they should have from the federal government through the state in terms of rental assistance. So we have way more low-income folks who should have gotten, you know, the city should have gotten a larger allotment. The city did not do a great job um, of processing. Um, There's not a lot of transparency. And it's, you know, a lot of people didn't get the rental assistance they should have gotten. And the, the city has not, kind of really done anything. It's like they're ignoring that this is happening at this point. So council passed laws, that's what they can do. And, but the, um, you know, the housing department, you know, is not, you know, as far as we can tell, they're not doing anything. Um, you know, the, the rent program can only enforce the rent program, but what about the housing department? Why, where are they? Where is there no demand for additional rental assistance? Um, you know, the other thing is it's been very precarious in terms of is there, 
going to be money for legal services. One of the reasons we have fewer um, eviction attorneys for tenants right now than we did before the pandemic is because the the city of Oakland has not made it clear that there's going to be ongoing funding. You know, the, the prior mayor worked with a bunch of private actors and they put together, you know, a package of rental assistance to keep people housed and money to increase um, legal services. But what they didn't do is make it a long-term, the long-term commitment. And so all that money disappeared and the legal services had to lay off people and didn't replace people when they, they left. So we really need a, a right to counsel, a long-term commitment. But I've, I've been very disappointed in that we haven't had, you know, from the housing department, from the mayor's office. I mean, there's just been silence. And I, I'm, I have to be frank, just really um, shocked and disappointed. Well, I, I, I'll just tell you, like, even in, you know, I, I'm not a housing advocate. I don't know anything about legal services. And I, I know that you get calls that I send people to you because it's so bad that <laughs> people are texting me saying that they're getting evicted yeah. at least a couple of times, you know, uh, a, a month. So, so the crisis is real. The other thing that I'm sitting with, right, is that we've got this right wing or conservative faction in Oakland, you know, screaming about our unhoused relatives. Well, those are the same people that were in the camp of trying to end the eviction war moratorium, right? Um, screaming about um, the rights of, of corporate landlords. Um, can you connect the dots for my listeners between evictions and the unhoused population? Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. that's that's the stage right before. And when I'm looking at, you know, we, we've had about more than a thousand people, um, you know, facing eviction in the last, um, you know, three to four weeks. And that's a thousand new people who are going to be homeless that we could have prevented, right? They're living in housing that's affordable. Um, many of them are getting evicted for only owing a month or, you know, maybe two months. Um, so that's something that the city could have taken care of. And, and that was the approach that, frankly, Berkeley took, which was you can't be evicted for the past rent if that's owed, but you owe one or two months. And most people are able to keep up with a month or, you know, if, if you can pay that month or two, it's usually because something, you know, unique has happened. And so having those programs where you help people can make a huge difference. And, you know, the, I mean, it, it's pretty amazing how few evictions like proportionally um, in Berkeley versus uh, Oakland. And it's, it's hard to say that it doesn't have to do with the fact that like Berkeley's really monitoring it. Um, Oakland is not monitoring. I, I have a sheet. I can tell you every single tenancy where a tenant received a notice and whether they received an unlawful painter. I can tell you when they, how old that tenancy is. Um, and we have been checking, we, you know, because I'm also the chair of the Berkeley Rent Board. The Rent Board in Berkeley has been checking with the legal services who we pay um, to represent people in Berkeley. We've been checking with them for each one to make sure for every unlawful detainer that person got legal services. So in some ways that's unfair, right? We're taking up a larger part of the legal services that are available because we're really monitoring it. In Oakland, nobody is monitoring it. They can't give you that kind of data. They can tell you how many notices have been served, but they can't tell you. And they don't have capacity. There's nobody, they don't have the staff to, to even ask the question what's happening. And they still don't have their registry up because those landlords are, are have been you know, I don't know if folks remember, but the landlords and, and you know, we're really talking corporate landlords are the ones who've been pushing 
and preventing the city of Oakland to set up their rent registry, which was to give them this kind of data. So they could have, you know, delved into it. And why do these landlords not want, they don't want us to know the full scope of their impact. And they don't want us to know that they own the majority of, of the housing. And just in terms of connecting the dots between these corporate landlords, and when we say corporate landlords, it's landlords who own lots of property. They may or may not live locally or not. I mean, here we have a lot of really rich um, landlords who live locally and who are, are constantly trying to undermine our, our attempts to keep the people stable. Um, but when I go down to a court, it's not the small landlords evicting people. It's the big corporate entities evicting people. I was going to ask so, that question. Yeah. Yeah. No, you look at the, you can see the, you know, the, what's called the docket, right? The list of 188, 195, you know, the, and you name after name and you look at it's all corporate names, all corporate names. It's not, you know, the guy who lives in his duplex with his um, tenant. You know, it's, it's, it's these huge corporations. And, and yeah, I mean, and those when, are the ones. No, I was just going to say that the, the smaller folks, I don't even know if I want to call them landlords or, or, or housing providers, right? but the, the, but those are the ones that actually feel the impact. And the other thing that I thought was was interesting, and, and I can say, I mean, I, I can say that is like, um, you know, when I was forced out of my home be, be, because of, of, of being doxxed and had to rent mine and, and not being able, I, for me, it just, I couldn't find a renter for six months and I'm a single mom. So like, I, I get that part. One of the things that I found interesting about Embra and their efforts, they've got bazillions of dollars. Why didn't they help the smaller housing providers in the time of crisis if they cared well, so much about them as opposed to exploiting them as, as voice boxes uh, to protect their bazillion dollar, you know, investments in housing across the city of Oakland? Well, I would take it even a step further that they um, not only have, you know, incredibly well, overly well-funded organization, they actually have the nerve to apply to um, get money and they put pressure on the city of Oakland to give money for them to help landlords. Um, they did not do a good job of getting those landlords their rental assistance. And then the same, um, when they were bringing their members to council to um, advocate to get rid of the moratorium. And these, you know, I would, you know, they would give, I started talking to these, you know, members of theirs who all claim they didn't get rental assistance. And I kept thinking, well, this is odd. You bring people here. And then I asked them, well, did Ebra help you um, apply for rental assistance? And like, oh, we didn't know they were even doing that. So it's like, mm. what, did Ebra use all of the, the resources the city of Oakland gave them to help their big clients? I and mean, when you look at their board, you know, they're not all full of, of small landlords, you know, they're full of corporate landlords, as is the California Apartment Association. So, yeah, I don't understand. Even when the city did give them money to allegedly help these small landlords, where'd it go? Yeah, and, and why isn't there? I mean, it's interesting how on the tenant side, you know, how many advocates have you know, giving people a couch, you know, are they doing that? Right. Or cash, cash out of, you know, own, own pockets, you know, to, to help keep mm -hmm. mothers and children's and, and I will say, right. And, and black mothers and children, uh, in, inside of their home, because, you know, if you're the likelihood of being black and, and a child is, as I got from some of the numbers you sent, sent over is like one of the, the largest predictors of being evicted and then ending up unhoused. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that was the one of the things, you know, that, that when I went to, you know, I, I went several times, we sent some delegations of electeds to go and serve because it was just so shocking. 
you know, when you go to eviction court, almost everybody being evicted is a person of color. One of the things that I found, and that's, you know, always been true, at least in, in California. When I went these last times, the thing that additionally was shocking was that, so because there's so many evictions, so beyond the capacity of legal services, so many people are going unrepresented. And that is unprecedented. And when you look, so what it looks like is you've got the folks who are represented by attorneys, they're all kind of huddled together near the legal service desk. And then you've got people who aren't, who didn't know how to do it, who couldn't get in an appointment. And their name is called by an attorney and they're taken by themselves into another corner and having to talk by themselves to the lawyer to try and negotiate. Almost every single time I saw that happen, it was an African American man. And then and we, so like, we've I been talking, like, yeah. yeah, we've been talking nuts and bolts, and and I'm gonna have to to wrap this up in a second. But I just want to sit for a minute in the humanity of all of this, right? Like the emotional and mental impact. If you could just talk about that for a minute, when you know it's you and your child, or or maybe just you, or you and your whole family, and you're about to be on the streets. Can you talk about the the emotional terror? I don't have another word for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is absolutely terrifying. And, you know, we know that the trauma that a child experiences when their parents are even worried about um, their housing is similar to when a child's family member is going to prison. You know, and we, we, you know, psychologists have always considered that like the height of like a trauma that a child experiences when a parent is being taken away to, you know, and, and they know that their parent is in, in jail and in terms of their brain development, because they're in constant fear and constant worry. Um, that is in, in the, when they've measured it. And also um, doctors are now asking people when you come in with a heart attack, do you have a housing crisis? That is now a determinant for heart attack in California. I mean, it is, it, I mean, Besides, it is wrecking our economy. It is creating all these things that's impacting our children and their ability to thrive in school. It's now killing us. Just the worry, let alone actually being homeless. I mean, it's real. Yeah, voice. And it's generational. Yeah. And it's generational, right? It's generational. So compounding already existing generational uh, trauma. Um, Leah Summerwestbrook, I would be willing to bet donuts to dollars. I've got listeners right now that are in this precarious position that they are um, uh, likely uh, facing eviction. What should they do right now? Well, I think you have to make sure that, you know, I, I, I guess I want everyone to call their mayor. Um, I really think this is a moment where mayors need to step up in every single city. I, you know, I have to say I can't agree with everything that um, Mayor Aragine in Berkeley, but he did right by, by the tenants of, of Berkeley. But the rest of the cities, I really think, need to be stepping up. The administrations of cities, the supervisors, um, you know, so an important time. And they, you know, a lot of electeds say the tenants don't vote. So make sure everybody votes. If you are facing eviction, you know, normally I would say, yes, we have great legal service providers, call them. But what's so terrible about this is that's not a good enough referral. 
because they may not be able to answer your call and they're turning people away in numbers they never have had to turn away. Well, that is a depressing note to end on, but and we must. <laughs> Leah Simon Weisberg, thank you for your efforts here. Uh, we'll be in contact soon. Thank you. Leah Simon Weisberg is legal director of the Alliance of California for Community Empowerment, ACE Action. There's one more dot that I want to um, connect for y'all. I, you heard me say in the interview that I've been getting increasing calls, right, from people, um, all black, all black and majority black women, um, that they are being evicted or they have been evicted and they need help. I want to just be really clear for you. The intersection there is that these are also people that I'm connected to because they've experienced state violence, right? They've lost someone um, to either the penitentiary, right, because they were stolen by the state or you know, their lives were stolen, their loved ones' lives were stolen. And so just think about the intersectionality of that trauma right now inside of this crisis. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Vibe. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.